The Sunday Major is back to the USA. America's Card Room is kicking off 2018 with a Texas Hold'em-sized bang that could change your life. Beginning January 7th, America's Card Room is hosting the biggest Sunday Major on the planet with $1,001,000 on the table every week. Yes, $1,001,000 guaranteed. Forget about just one time to change your life. The $1,001,000 guaranteed tournament is happening weekly, all for just $265 a pop. For all the info, check out americascardroom.eu. Welcome to Ask Alex, episode 188 on the OneOuter.com podcast, sponsored by americascardroom.com. If you want 27% rate back from americascardroom.com, simply sign up for your account by clicking on one of the ads or banners on the OneOuter.com website. Follow us on Twitter at OneOuter.com and join the Facebook group, facebook.com slash group slash OneOuter. This episode and all other previous episodes are on the OneOuter.com website and also via iTunes for free. If you want to send questions in for the show, then please email questions at OneOuter.com or you can tweet them or post them in the Facebook group. Before we came on air, me and Alex were sounding like we were 60-something rather than 30-something and we were discussing the hot weather and how sticky and horrible it is in the east coast of America and also the east coast of Scotland. Um, so <laughs> we've decided not to bore you guys with that. So Alex, apart from the weather and stuff, is there anything exciting happened in the last week since we last spoke? Uh, I'm trying to think of what I did the last week. No, life, life's been good. Over the weekend, I went to a monastery they have on the outer reaches of New York. That was pretty neat. Uh, you get a nice view of the Hudson and everything, and it was interesting to me that it'd been like six or eight weeks since I'd done an outing in New York, and you ever notice how you just, after you get used to a place, you stop looking for things in it, and you stop visiting it like it were a tourist stop? Yeah. There, There's that joke that you the place you never see is where you live. Mm-hmm. I... I really want to avoid doing that because I remember when I was in Costa Rica I just thought I'd be there forever so there were parts of the country I wanted to see and I went yeah 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 next time right there's a pink sand beach I wanted to check out I wanted to go to Limon and I just never got around to it and then one day I'm not there anymore so yeah it was nice to like okay look there's a monastery slash museum on the outer edges of this city, why don't you just pick a day and say, screw it, and go? So, yeah, my girlfriend and I, we did that. That was pretty neat. Other than that, not a lot going on. And what was, what was the gift shop like? like? The gift shop? <laughs> uh, I'm trying to think. I don't even think they had a nah, gift shop. I, I was joking. I would be ashamed and surprised if there was. You know? <laughs> yeah, it would be... Yeah, be, yeah. Uh, Get 20 Hail Marys pockets yeah. if you really sin this weekend. Yeah. What was the... Oh, the, a cool little pro tip if you guys ever come to New York. Barry, you might have a hard time pulling this off with your accent, but even you can probably pull it off. At the beginning, they ask you, what's your zip code? Say any New York zip code. Say, you know, 11103 or whatever, right? And then... To go to the Met or to go to a lot of the museums, it's you have to make some kind of donation. But if you look on the sign, it'll say suggested donation in tiny, tiny letters. And then it'll say $25. And if you go up and give them $25, they won't say a word. But if you say, this is my zip code uh, and I want to give you $2 for two people, like, legally they can't do anything. They have to let you in. So, yeah, it was one of the cooler museums I'd ever been to in my life, mm. and it was 2 bucks to go into. It's gigantic monastery, old uh, old gardens with... It's kind of weird. They had nightshade growing, which if a kid just plucked into his mouth, he's uh, dead. Mm. But... Other than that, yeah, very beautiful gardens, butterflies flying around and very cool stuff. But, yeah, other than that, just been working a ton. Nothing really that interesting going on. Well, next time I come to New York, I'll spend the flight perfecting my accent to save whatever the entrance fee was. 
Just talk like Trump. They'll let you in for free. I'll, like I'll be the backstory as well, because like you might get away with just saying like M Y whatever, and then they could say, "Oh, what are you doing, New York?" I'll need to say I work for like Ladder Fifty Six or something, or you know, like <laughs> one of these. Yeah, yeah. Come on, you know, but. Although a New Yorker, a true New Yorker, I'd probably just say, like, oh, shut up, you know, what do you need that for? Forget it, I'm a New York. you don't need my zip code, and refuse to give it, and just, like, get get in. You know, maybe that's a double yeah, bluff. Exactly. Essentially, if you ever want to be a New Yorker, you just get really aggressive, yeah. and people will assume. I just wonder, Barry, tell me what you think of this. If you put rats in a very small contained space, at some point they stop puffing up their chest in a show. It, it becomes real fights with real bodies. Mm-hmm. And we don't like to admit it as humans, but we are pack animals. We are always grading each other on our fitness. For it, it, That's all you ever hear in poker is like, who's better than this guy? Who's better than that guy? Who's, he's the best player in this card room. Oh, he's really good. Oh, I think he got really good. I think he got really lucky. I don't think he's that good. It's all, who is the most genetically fit in this group? Uh, who's the alpha dog? Who's not? And I think if you put those kind of animals in a very contained area, they start, if you do that with animals, they start getting more aggressive and they start chewing on themselves and fighting with each other. Do you think humans are like that? Because I notice the longer I'm in New York, the more of a jerk I am. And I never thought that would happen to me when I moved here. But if you guys ever want a pro tip, a real New Yorker will never say, excuse me, when they want to ask you something. They'll just say, hey, do you know where the W line is? Mm -hmm. That's going to be the entire thing, right? If somebody comes up to you and says, excuse me, nine times out of ten, they're asking for money. Mm. So... I never thought I would do this, but now people on the street come up, excuse me, sir, if I could have just a minute of your time, and I go, nope, and walk down, which I never could have seen myself doing when I got here. And I've gotten into verbal altercations on the subway that before would have just rattled me somewhat because it was confrontation in any sense. Now I'm just so used to people being ridiculous in close quarters that – there's sometimes I have my headphones on and somebody, this has happened to me twice now, I've had my headphones on in a subway and somebody starts yelling at me for some reason and I don't even take my headphones off. It's just like, F off, buddy, I don't have time. Mm-hmm. And they walk, they walk away. Do you think that's just a proximity thing, that humans just can't be that close to each other? I think some humans, you know, because I think the difference between animals and humans is well, I, I'm thinking, I, I'm going off this, like, you know, there's there's nurture and nature with the humans mm. in terms of, like, their upbringing. So people that are maybe, like, naturally more submissive in that don't really fall into that game or, you know, they don't do it. They're, they're happy to just be sort of lowered down on any sort of scale or, or right. you know, pecking order. And they're happy to just shuffle around their business and you know, get out my seat. Okay, no problem, sir, move. Whereas other guys are like, who are you talking to, sort of thing. And, you know, that. Yeah, so, exactly. But, you know, I, I do get it. It's the whole throw a load of people in a busy room, uh, put the temperature up, you know, a few degrees, delay people in that, and then just watch <laughs> little things explode and things happen. You know, <laughs> Watch Lord of the Flies. And that's basically, yeah, and that's basically <laughs> New York. Like, magnify, yeah. you know, uh, miniature version. But you just reminded me of a story I didn't tell about my Vegas trip. Like, a guy, I was sitting in the Mirage, and the guy came up to me, like, quite this big guy, overweight, baseball cap, and he goes, uh, you know, uh, excuse me, sir, uh, you couldn't spare a few bucks for a veteran, could you? And I was like, uh, <laughs> uh, no, sorry, sir. And he walked away and went, fucking prick. <laughs> you said that? Yeah. <laughs> you, he, yeah, that's like every day in New York. Every single day he in New York, by the way. So quickly, it was in one field street. It was like, excuse me, sir, you couldn't exchange a few. And this was inside the casino, not on the strip. You know, not on the strip, but on the street. And he just said, uh, excuse right. me, sir, uh, can you, you spare a few bucks for a veteran? I says, no, sorry, mate. He, went, he walked away and just like muttered on it. He went, fucking prick. And then off to the next person, <laughs> sitting down at another bit and machine. 
and I think he was doing it quick so like he didn't hover so that security couldn't see him like he was you know, appro- approaching customers. He was probably just doing it all and like he hardly broke stride while asking asking me. And I worked out that it was obviously so he didn't stay like with his hand out basically to customers in front of security, you know. Right, that makes sense. Yeah, fucking wet, man. It's it's funny, when you go to a casino, well, let's say you go to a poker room, aren't you just surrounded by that guy? They are people, let's say he wasn't really a veteran, which I know might be shocking to some people, but some people do do that. Mm. Uh, Isn't everybody in a poker room just a version of that guy, somebody trying to trick you for money? And then, yeah, you put them all in a room and you turn the heat up. I think it takes time to learn how to be in a card room. Like, when I'm in a card room, I've been doing it since I was very young. So I'll notice, like, I'll lean back in a chair and I'll be drinking my coffee and I'll, I'll catch my breath for a second and take a deep breath. And I'll look around and I'll see everybody hunched over just they're they're uh, toe tapping, going wildly, shuffling their chips, mm. and I I always want to say, guys, it's like a tennis match. If you ever watch Federer or Nadal between points, between sets, between they have a whole resting routine. The way they roll their shoulders out and everything, close their eyes, deep breath, and you don't see a lot of guys that at the card room, and I wonder. Now I'm just going off on a tangent, but... No, it's, I think it's no, important, cause, but carry on, I'll add something. I think it's, it's important what you're saying. I, I've always noticed the, a lot of Brits do really well in that environment, and New Yorkers do really well in that environment. And I wonder if that's just because you grow up around a lot of people, and a lot of people are trying to get one over on you. And you just... You, you stop taking it personally. You stop letting your blood pressure rise in that situation and go, yeah, whatever, buddy. Uh, long story short, I think moving to New York is one of the greatest things I could have ever done for my <laughs> poker career. But, yeah, and, but, you, anyway, but one you, day you will end up killing someone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like Trump said, I could go to Fifth Avenue and shoot somebody and it wouldn't affect my popularity rating. I, 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 I really think yeah, that's sorry, true. Go I ahead. think that's true. That's what you said. I really think that's true. You know. I think it is true. Yeah. They'd be like, well, I... What would the other guy do, huh? Yeah. Are we just supposed to deal with this political correctness? You can't go out on the street and shoot anyone anymore? Know. You know, our original presidents used to have duels. I liked going back to those days of hard tack and coffee. No, I could see people doing it if it happened. Well, uh, Nassim Nicholas Taleb makes this <laughs> point. <that laughs> uh, no, but what I think, like, to tell, we've started, this is the one out of our podcast, Ask Alex episode, <laughs> as you know. We start off, it's not scripted, but it is important, you've came around, we talked about the weather, and that was for a reason, see, the universe has played this out, the real reason was, is because if you take it back to poker and playing live, all you can do is, you don't know how hot or cold the card room's going to be, or whatever, so like Alex is saying, if you're maybe taking better care of yourself, what you've had to eat, things you can control, get a resting routine, if you take a beat, or just to let you go card dead for a while, and it's like, you know, the, hour, the levels are an hour, or you know, two hours in the main event or whatever, how you sort of uh, navigate your mind and body through that and give yourself... That's added edge. It's all chips, isn't it, really? Because, as you say, if somebody's sitting there getting really frustrated, hot, it's too cold, whatever, people do still, to this day, just suicide their chips off, their stacks off all the time. Oh, yeah. You know? That's, uh, Whether consciously or sub- usually subconsciously. I, I don't think people realise... Like, we, what stands out in our mind as we discuss that, Barry, is uh, somebody just jamming two point, which I saw at this year's WSOP. I saw a guy jam 2.5x pot on the river when multiple draws missed versus a known hero caller. And surprise, surprise, the hero caller called, and the guy had nothing, right? And, you know, millennial probably in his mid-twenties, on his cell phone. You know, no, no big deal. It's just the biggest tournament of the year. Why would you pay attention to the hand? I don't even know if he saw the hand where the guy Hero called off, mm-hmm. but even if he did, yeah, it, it's suiciding them off, as you put it. Those are the instances that stand out in our mind. But I would go so far as to say most people's double-barrel bluffs are just garbage. 
they're when you bet the flop, the guy usually folds his high cards, calls with his pairs, and then on the turn, I always want to ask, like, do you think he's folding these pairs? And nine out of ten people I teach go, well, I don't know. And then I go, well, why are you betting here? And then the other thing is most guys will see bet with pretty much anything, but on the turn they're going to bet with mostly good pairs and a couple bluffs, right? But you don't really know. And a lot of times I tell people, that, that's why I'm always teaching you guys like attacking style poker because people will call off their chips. But if, if you're playing this guessing game, calling down, I, I always say, what is the guy betting on the turn? And the answer turns into an elaborate, I don't know. And I go, well, I, I, I always do this as a joke. I go, do you have any money in the Mexican stock market? And they go, what? And I go, the Mexican stock market, do you have any money in it? And they go, well, no. Why? Well, I don't know anything about the Mexican economy, the Mexican stock market. Great. Okay, so you don't put money into things you don't know. Why are you calling here in the turn? And if you watch people play, yeah, they, they let little things bother them. And I think you make a really good point, which is you are always training for the poker table. When people are yelling at me for no reason, that's training for the poker table because I've had that happen. I had in the Venetian some guy stand up, point at me, scream, call me a mother effer. Nobody did anything. Floor didn't call anyone, nothing, nothing. And if I really let the indignity of that get me, I would have played worse poker. And then, by all means, if this guy should get away, can get away with it and get me off my game, he should do it, right? But I think it's just soft behavior to let somebody get under your skin. And you know what, Barry, you can really do it with people under the age of 30. Have you ever noticed that? Yeah. And, like, you can really get under their skin and make them play bad, which if the guy's just responding to you is really good if the guy's on his right. But if the guy's to your left, I did something really stupid at this year's WSOP, which is I needled a kid that was two to my left, which was real. The kid showed a bluff, and I'm sorry, just where I'm from. I'm going to... If you, this might come as a surprise to many new guys in poker, but if you talk smack at the table, it might come back at you. And guy was showing a bluff and talking smack, and I said, you know, I said, you emotional? Like, you, mm. look at you, emotional, right? And the guy, like, that's just so normal. I, I mean, it, I don't, it, when you played soccer growing up, Barry, isn't that just like a normal way a guy would talk to you? Yeah. If you were just getting up in your head yeah. and yelling during the game, yep. I don't like. I couldn't believe how bad this guy took it. Like this guy really went off on it. And I, I, I wanted to say, buddy, I don't, I don't know where you're from, but if you show a bluff and talk smack, it's going to come back at you. That's just how it is. But it was so stupid of me to do because he was two to my left, right? And now that, and it ended up he busted like forehand later, so it didn't even matter. But it's amazing to me how much people will let little things bug them, especially when you live in the United States of America. And short of shooting somebody, I don't know what's really going to ruin your life. You can go make a business, get into 100K of debt in this country, and just declare bankruptcy. And it sounds ridiculous, but all your debts are gone, right? And people will loan you money again because guess what? You can only declare bankruptcy once. You have a million opportunities in this country, and people just get mad about the dumbest things. And, yeah, I, like you said, you can only control what you can control when you show up at the poker room, which is your health, your general patience, how much you worked on your patience beforehand. I really think if you lift weights, eat right, your patience will increase. And, yeah. Barry's got a really good point. That's why I talked for 18 minutes over him. <laughs> no, but, it, but it's true. But I think it's important as well. I mean, we all forget that all the time, mm -hmm. you know, in relationships with family, whatever. We all have moments where it's too much and you snap or you say things you wish you didn't say. And, you know, nobody's Zen monks here or Yoda or, you know, popes that are infallible. It's like... It's about limiting it, I suppose, you know, and then right. and understanding how certain people are reacting because the times where you are zen, 
you can then put yourself in the shoes of the guy that you can see is steaming because he called off or because he put his chips in and bluffed when he didn't. And you can then play the proper, you know, without bringing up game theory or whatever, but playing, not game theory, but playing more optimally to him by saying something like Alex said, like, oh, you know, that was, you know, you're getting a bit emotional. And within your rights, you're not cursing at the guy or laughing at him, but it's a slight psychological gambit that you can play, you know, and I've done lots of stuff like that. I mean, I grew up with, you know, five other brothers and sisters. We were always constantly needling each <laughs> other and playing mind games and uh, power struggles and stuff. So, um, you know, that that's that's part of the fun. And I think in this world of poker, like, people forget that with poker. Like, you can get huge edges like that. I, I know I've had people call me because they, they, they hate me in that moment in the table or they don't like the what I'm saying or playing or whatever. And I know they're going to call me, so, you know, all in with the nuts on the river, and they just call. They spike call, we call it in Scotland. It's a spike right. call, you know, because they're like... There's a reason there's a term for it. That's it. That's it. Well, in the, uh, to add on that, like, if I really wanted to spin that story, I'll, I'll be honest, like, the kid pissed me off, and I just wanted to get back at him, and I didn't think it would set him off the way it did, right? I mean, that's a very... You, whenever somebody's talking, uh, I, I keep wanting to use the term I normally use here, but <laughs> uh, whenever somebody's just talking at you and pick up basketball or touch football or something like that, the easiest defense is you emotional, because if the guy goes off more, it looks like he is, and if he just shuts up, that's good for you, because you just get sick of hearing it at some point. You just want to play the game, right? Mm -hmm. But... If I wanted to spin this story, that was the guy who bluffed off his chips, right? Like, four hands later. And he was a thorn in my ass. He was a really good poker player. Like, a very good poker player. And, like you said, Barry, I'm not even good at it. Like, there's a... One thing I admire about people from the United Kingdom is, God, you guys get some underhanded comments in that I could never get away with, Right? And it's still, it's not passive-aggressive, because if it's passive-aggressive, you can't, you can come back at it, because that's really, it's not an upfront move, in which case I think it deserves to be called out, but you guys are just so slick at it, and I've seen Americans just lose their mind, or hell, it happened to me when I was younger, right, when I was 19 or 20, I've just seen People lose their mind about it, and people forget this is a mental game. Uh, there was, uh, remember Josh Arie's 2004 WSOP run? And, or William Kasuf, or any of that, the table talk. And everybody was saying this is a disgrace to the game, and I, I, I keep wanting to say this is part of the game. I don't like how they're going about it. Uh, I would never take it to that level, but you have to understand when you sit down at a card table and you commit to taking another grown man, grown man's money, it's going to get heated pretty much every time you play. And if you're not ready for that, it's not going to be good for you. And I think this is something a lot of guys in their 20s don't get, which is this college thing of... If somebody says something that's offensive to you, that challenges your views, that's violence. There's violence in those words. And it's like, no, that's... that The person who gets angry loses. Every man within him, and women, you can say this about them too if you want, but I've always thought of this with men, is like, every man has a demon within him. And on the street, you can see how well that guy is fighting that demon. Did, did he get his hair cut? Did he take care of how he's dressing? Does he take care of his body? Does it look like he's the type of guy to give in to eating junk food and not taking his life seriously? Or does he fight that demon within him and play ball and go out there and do something with his life? You can see that in a man. And to me, when a guy is, like you were saying, Barry, you... You start as you get older when people mouth off at you and just talk back to you. It's not even a Zen state. I just, 
because when I think of a Zen state, I think of uh, like a guy meditating, right? And nothing could ever affect me. And oh, allow this ladybug on the tip of my finger. Look at the pattern of the ladybug. If you could understand the patterns of a ladybug, you would understand everything. No, it's soft behavior. I think you're a soft male if you get emotional and allow me or anyone allow Barry to get you off your game plan with table talk or if something nobody can control could get you off your game plan. Like how many people would play bad Barry if the AC broke for four years at the world series of poker? It's not less than 80%. How many would be off their, how many would be off their normal game? at the WSP if the AC broke for four hours and it got to be 110 degrees in there. And I think that says something a lot about males, that somebody can get you off your plan with just a change of climate. That's when really you, you should walk in there knowing how you play, knowing what fundamentals your game is based on, what numbers your game is based on, why you do things, what edges you see. And if any little thing can get you off your game, I, I don't think this is really good for you. So now that I've discouraged everybody about playing poker, I guess we should answer some of your questions. No, I think what you're doing is discouraging people who are unsure about some things or don't have any sort of game plan from playing right, poker. Right. And that's probably a good thing. They should, you should be slightly discouraged. But then it's important to just go in and do it anyway as well and then learn by learn by doing. But right. no, I think I think good points and it was better than the chat we had about the weather at the start. At least we've added something to that. So um all right, let's get into the questions then and let's sure. see what's what. Um Okay, this first one is from Brian. I took three years off from poker, live and online, to focus on some career goals. And I finally cracked open my copy of The Myth of Poker Talent. My question is twofold. Sorry, Barry. <laughs> you ask as many questions as you want, Brian. It's not, it's not a problem with <laughs> me. Uh, first question is, are the applications discussed in the book still your recommended apps? And two, are there any sections of the book that would update or change to reflect the current environment? even though it's only been two years since its release? Thank you for your question, Brian. That's actually a really good question. There's nothing in the book I would change. When I wrote that book, I really told myself I wanted... I think it's good to have a little bit of an ego with this job because I think if you're okay with putting out any piece of crap you're probably not going to be in poker for very long. It's I've did this podcast for, I think, seven years, eight years. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still here. <laughs> I make this... I, Barry, I, that is offensive. Yeah. I make this podcast a sparkling gem yeah. on the mountaintop yeah, within a haystack. Yeah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <no>. <laughs> Okay, that derailed me. But, no, I, I, I told myself, look, poker is by its nature unstable, and you really love this. You love competing. Uh, if you want to do this till your 80s, you should probably become someone who could make an income outside of the game. Why is Mike Sexton going to be winning bracelets into his 80s? Well, he's the Vin Scully of poker. He's the announcer. He is the best announcer we've ever had, and he's what poker needs. He gives so much back to the community. I said, why don't you give back to the community? Why don't you make this something that at the end, you could throw it on the table and say, outright this, kids. I dare you. So I looked at the poker literature market, found 80% of it was just garbage. And a lot of it was, it, it seemed like 
very much, how would you put it? It didn't go into a ton of depth. You got the idea the poker player would have much rather been off playing poker than writing that book. So what I looked at, all those, uh, all Flopzilla and Cardrunner ZV are, and that's what I use through pretty much all of the book, is they're combo counters, which Flopzilla and Cardrunner ZV facilitate that. They do not create that. Uh, Counting combos you can do by pen and paper. So really the entire book is just I'm using Flopzilla and I'm using Cardrunner ZV to show you equity problems that Z. Justin was doing back in 2005 by pen and paper. It just so happens there's some programs that really help you with this. I would not be surprised if in my 50s I'm still using Cardrunner ZV and Flopzilla, they still come up every single day in my poker training because it's the fastest way to show somebody a range. It is the fastest way to show somebody what they're going up against on any street, and that is immensely powerful. Would I change any of that? No. Most of the book can be described as this is how to study pretty much any poker spot. The statistics section I put in there because I was doing a ton of work with that at the time, and I didn't really see anything written down or printed. And quite frankly, a lot of this stuff is just common sense. If a guy folds 60% of the time to a C-bet, it's generally every time you don't have third pair or better, so it's easy to figure out that that guy, when he misses the board, he just folds. And then on the turn, you should be very careful about betting into him because he has third pair or better, and usually he's made that decision. I've known that since I started playing cash games, since I started playing cash games for a living in, say, 2007, 2008, but I never really saw that in poker literature, and I realized... If somebody writes about this, that book is going to be timeless. And I wanted my contribution to the poker community to be something of real worth. That's really your business card these days. And I could have never foreseen how much people would love that book and how good it would be for me to create a life off the table for my family and I. So... I'm still very proud of the myth of poker talent is the long and short of it. I would still use it to this day. If there's anything I'd warn against, dog betting has become a little bit more popular in Las Vegas. However, I, I still don't see it when I'm reviewing my Euro poker players. I still don't see a lot of dog betting. I think that generally, if you see donk betting in the European online markets, it it tends to be something like a set with five people or something like that. And whereas if you're in Vegas, I, I did see a lot of people leading flush draws and things like that and leading sets. Check raising from the big blind is the play that got a ton of traction from that book for a good for a good reason people like simple fixes and no limit hold'em when people started saying hey you can raise five seven suited from the hijack and a lot of times if the cutting or button doesn't do anything you'll be fine that was a very easy trick to throw into most poker players games because it's so easy to understand or when people said, oh, you can call from the big blind if the guy just 2Xs it, because that will likely save you a couple bucks as opposed to just completely folding the big blind, that was very simple to implement. Calling from the big blind and check-raising any high-card to low-card board with a flush draw is very easy to implement. So many guys in California and Las Vegas have told me, I really wish you never wrote that damn book. Uh, people just check-raise me constantly on that board now, whereas before they would just check-fold always. 
that's the one play I don't think is is as effective, but that's mostly in live cash and things like that. I still I looked at my check raising statistics on America's card room recently, and there's st- I'm still killing with that play. People still don't play back at it enough, but that's the one play I think did get a ton of traction because of that book. There's so many sections in that book people did not freak out about as much as I thought they would. There's one part of the book where I proved you could triple barrel with any two cards and make a profit versus a guy who was calling you with third pair on the river just because his range on the flop removed anything that was really good and... like one overcard came, right? That was it. And nobody freaked out about that because I showed you step-by-step how to use Cardrunner's EV to prove that. And what I found out from learning that book, from writing that book, was people learn through simplicity. They like very neat explanations that are memorable in the heat of the moment, which is why the check-raising section was very off-the-cuff and I think people really gravitated toward that and learned it quite rapidly. So my new book about exploiting people in live poker is going to be exclusively simple, easy to understand, but backed by combinatorics and database management plays that can be implemented right away. It's very much a multiplication of what worked the most effectively in that first book. So I, I hope that answers your question, Brian. Okay. Uh, next question, uh, next is, question from, is from... I can hear myself can back hear myself out. It's quite bad. Okay, hold on. Okay. Go! Okay. Um, and that's the sparkling gem that Alex brings week in, week out that he was talking about. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this question is from Roberto. Um, great podcast, thanks. Subscribed recently after purchasing some of Alex's material. My question. Hi Alex, Jason Kuhn in a YT, I'm assuming that's YouTube video, with Joey Ingram says that GTO is essential because it allows you to understand how to exploit those who deviate from it. Is this only high-stakes territory, or does it make sense at all levels? I know you're not very fond of it, but maybe I am not understanding your argument. Please explain. Boy, Barry, I I really hope the rest of our lives we just get to talk about GTO poker, don't you? (laughs) I, I don't... Like... Here's what I know, Roberto... If you show up at a table and there's a bunch of good players, GTO is immensely powerful. Because what it means is your frequencies are so tuned in by Pile Solver that nobody, even if you announced your strategy, nobody could do anything about it. So what a very talented player here, uh, Jason Kuhn, is saying is, It's a beginning framework. So we're going to use penalty kicks one more time because it's the simplest way to explain it. Let's say you show up and the World Cup is on you. Uh, You have the last penalty kick. If you make it, you, you win for your team, right? Your options are to kick left or right. Game theory optimal means, now assuming you and the goalie are perfectly aligned skill wise, that if he dives the right direction, he's blocking it 100% of the time, and if you kick it the direction he doesn't dive, you get it 100% of the time. Game theory optimal means you can scream over to him, I am kicking left 50% of the time and right 50% of the time, and I am going to randomize it here with this stopwatch, and I'm letting you know right now, good sir, Assuming, now we're assuming you guys are video game characters and there's no way to curtail the odds in your favor. There's set parameters. Even if you declared your strategy to the goalie, he cannot gain an edge on you. If you can imagine the weight of that kick being upon you, 
knowing that there's no way your competition could exploit you is going to be incredibly attractive, which is why many of these backed players love Game Theory Optimal Play, or what they call Game Theory Optimal Play. Because if your backer is giving you a hard time and you say, look, it's on my GTO charts, it's fine, there's nothing the guy can really say. Now, now, however, let's say you go and you notice this goalie over the past eight years has jumped to the right 61% of the time. Well, now you can adjust your frequencies in some fashion, or you can just go, frequencies be damned. I'm cooked kicking the other side right now because I only get one of these. So that framework really brings you in a great frame of mind because when you know your frequencies... That usually means you know your opponent's frequencies. In the analogy I just gave you, you know what the goalie is supposed to do to counter your perfect strategy. And if he deviates from that in any fashion, now you can deviate. So when you show up at a poker room where guys really know what they're doing, or let's say your final 33 of a 1KW coup, and... Everybody there is just a lights out twenty five fifty player. You can just rebet re regress into your GTO shell and no one can touch you. That is immensely powerful. It is also not optimal. Cause you never have a goalie that's going fifty fifty. You never have it. An optimal check raise on many boards, if you look it up in game theory lore, will be 20-something percent. An optimal raise with top pair, top kicker, in many of the GTO analyses, will be upwards of 20%. Do you know what the average guy is doing with one pair? Is he raising one pair? The number is zero most of the time, which means there is an exploitable play you can implement just in the same fashion as if you had a goalkeeper who was diving right 100% of the time. That answer is deeply intriguing to me. I understand why people gravitate towards GTO in that you can never be wrong. Being a GTO practitioner means never having to say you're Whereas if I give you a play that could massively exploit others, that means there has to be a back door where you could be massively exploited yourself, which puts me at a great disadvantage because if you get exploited once, do you think you're going to come back to me as a poker coach? No, because that doesn't feel good. Whereas if you go into this game theory play of 50-50, even though you know damn well the goalie has some kind of bias, you never have to apologize even though you didn't put in the work to find that bias. You don't have to say you're sorry. So while he's right, and I really agree with him, and at the stakes he plays, it is incredibly important he knows GTO. I would rather you know what your opponents do incorrectly. One of the most enjoyable times of my poker career was I had, you guys like numbers, I don't like numbers, okay? Because I, I hate those ads on Facebook. You want to make 50K in six months? Buy my poker plan, right? That's not realistic. You have to work extremely hard and it still might not happen. But there was a month I made $30,000 from 1-2 and 2-4 no limit. I probably played an average of 13 hours a day, would be my guess. But what I did every morning is I got my coffee, 
databases. It was on a network where you couldn't have a HUD, but you could convert the hands and look at the players. Sorry, Alex, I ne- you, just, you cut off there when you said you got your coffee, just in case we are missing anything else, Key. It, yeah. just, it just went silent there for a bit. Okay, so I would get my coffee. I never told anybody I was doing this. I would get the hand histories from the network I was on. This network didn't allow HUDs, but you could convert the hand histories and put them into a database. And I would look through the database, and I would try to find the thing the guy did wrong. I wanted to know exactly what he did wrong. Now, if you quiz me at that time, in my best, probably one of my proudest achievements in poker, because that was not a lucky tournament win. Every time you win a tournament, you get lucky. I don't care how good you are. That was my blood, sweat, and tears. That was pain. That was me pushing myself into a gear I didn't know I had. If you had woken me up in my sleep and put me at that computer and said, tell me what his optimal river betting frequency was, I'd go, I don't know, dude. I don't know what's wrong, what I'm doing wrong as much as I should. It probably changes by every player. I would say a guess. The guess would probably be a little off. I probably would have a few guesses that were way off. Didn't matter. I was crushing. I was doing better than anyone I knew. I was working harder than anyone I knew. And every guy on that network I knew is leak. And I took advantage of it every day because I was a goddamn card player. That is what I care about. That is what I like instilling. Because there is not a better feeling on earth than looking at the money in your bank account and knowing I did this. I outwitted that guy. He did not wake up early. I did. He was up late partying. I was sober and I woke up early. And when it came down to that moment that I waited 12 hours for, I took his hard-earned cash because I worked harder than him. Whereas GTO, you need it. It's important. But you're going to start with GTO and then you're going to affix it differently to this situation. So yes, it's a great starting point, but you think Apply this. Sorry, baby. <laughs> I'm Scotty Fan. I'm sorry, baby. Yes. <laughs> sorry, Barry. I'm thinking off the cuff here. Do you think, okay, do you think marketers go game theory optimal? Or do they look at sociological studies and they try to optimize? Yes. Sociological studies fade within six months sometimes, two to four years max. And yet people still write books about it. Why is that? Do do you think Facebook is culling all this data, putting themselves in harm's way so that they can't default to optimizing, to exploiting the data? Do you think they find you have and then they go, let's go through these 50 ads that are most relevant to millennials and just cycle them out? Or do they just hit you with dog advertisements from start to finish? And I know I sound like a huge prick when I talk about this, guys, but I feel like it was like when I was a kid, I just, I, I wanted to say, I wish I was gay and I was more into pot because I feel like all I'm ever going to hear about for the rest of my life is gay marriage and pot. That's all we ever talk about in the United States. Gay marriage and pot. When is it going to be legal? When is it going to be legal? And I'm so glad it's finally legalized in this country so I can stop hearing about it. And if I could have one 
Like, yes, if everybody understood the explanation I just gave you about the penalty kick, that is game theory optimal. That is very important. Obviously, it's far more complex in online poker. But guess what? If you have a guy that calls down all the time, still the play is to value bet second pair, second kicker for three straight. I don't care what is optimal against a base of millions of players versus a perfect player. Because Earl, from accounting, isn't playing that way. And I want his money. Do you want his money? Or do you want to be blameless? That's my question now. Do you want to win? Or do you want to be blameless? Because I think there are two different, very different motivations here. And I think if you start looking at a lot of these guys, and I'm not talking about Jason Cunier because he's a fantastic player and he's 100 times better than any, any poker player I'll ever be. But I think if you look at a lot of these guys who are talking about game theory optimal, game theory optimal, game theory optimal, without any idea to how to exploit other players, I'm really starting to ask, do they want you to make money or do they want to be blameless? That is my question now, and I can't get past that question. I don't know the answer, but I can't get past it in my mind, and I think that means something. Good luck to you, Roberto. Okay, and just to touch on that, my understanding of it is, I mean, I studied game theory and stuff like that at university, and I actually, off my own back, before and after university, read into it. I find it really interesting from a strategy point of view. But, like Alex is saying, in poker, there's situations where you're playing with a guy, and like, People talk about game theory being applicable if you're playing with the same players more and, you know, in these smaller field tournaments where it's the same player pool, etc. Even more so, if you're, like I said, I played with guys before, regulars, who, when I say never bluff, I mean never bluff. I don't mean they do it now and again. I mean they never bluff. Old guys in their 60s that sometimes, literally, they were playing their cards face up. I knew they had aces or kings in certain spots. And in some points you could narrow it down to even this is one hundred percent aces. And I don't I don't use that lightly, hundred percent, you know? And if that guy it comes to the river in a tournament and he bets the pot or goes all in on the river, then you're throwing away top pair, top kicker one hundred percent of the times I am. Or you're going broke all the time there against that player. So that doesn't mean that you should like, you know, if he bets half pot or whatever you should, like, wear a game theory optimal against that player. Sometimes I should re-raise him with air or check raise the river or whatever against that guy. That would just be lighting money on fire. That, that's just my understanding from it in a simple explanation like that. Right. And the thing that bugs me is I think these guys, like Ben CB and Doug Polk and the guys that are just badass with game theory, they would even say in that situation... Like, yes, obviously you know his frequency is nowhere near a game theory optimal frequency, therefore change, right? Change the play. But what I'm worried about is, like, I've seen this situation. I was just talking about this with Riyard's Dobolis, which was you open, like, ace-queen from under the gun, and a guy three-bets you from the button, and there's a lot of times... If you're looking at a game theory optimal chart, it will say four bet that hand, right? Because the guy could theoretically it could be three betting you with a certain number of bluffs or whatever. You open ace queen offsuit from under the gun plus two, whatever it is, right? And the thing being, in reality, I, now if you guys are in the right games, which many of you guys are, nine out of ten of your opponents are not three bet bluffing them. They're just not doing it, right? So I watch, again and again, I watch my students jam ace-queen into ace-king, our kings are into a flip, there was no way they were plus EV, and blood shoots out my nose, because I, I just go, what, did you think he was bluffing there? No. 
Did you think he did that with Ace Jack, the three that call you? No. Then why'd you do it? Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, I have this chart. And that's a great way to just forgive yourself, right? Oh, it's okay. I have this chart, which is the real work of poker is hammering yourself. Like, why did I do that? Was it smart? Was it not? And then it teaches you to esteem your opinion above all others, to hold your opinion in esteem above all others, because you collect evidence at a greater frequency than all others. You must be honest with yourself. You must collect as much evidence as possible. You must be very grateful when people bring up opposing evidence. But with what you have, you must hold your opinion in higher esteem to all others. And if in your mind you flubbed it, you cannot revert into, well, look, if the guy was a perfect machine, it would have been fine because he's not. And I... (laughs) And yeah, I'm with you, Barry. I I love discussions of game theory. I love, I read this paper about game theory and penalty kicks, and it was just a narcotic high reading it. I find it amazing. But here's the thing. Let, Let me tell you guys what I really like doing with these podcasts. Why I do all this stuff. Why you guys are on this newsletter And you get something free every day. You get quiz cards. You get articles. You get get podcasts. You get free training videos. Why I do that? Because at some point you have to understand, I'm doing this at a frequency. That's my new favorite word. Anyway, I'm doing this to a level that clearly this is personal. The reason I put out more than anybody is because I believe in this. I was immensely depressed when I was a kid because I did not fit in in school. Every guidance counselor told me I wasn't going to be anything. Nobody, I couldn't fit in at any trade job. I was just hopeless and I was depressed. And it came out when I talked to women. It came out when I talked to people. I never represented myself well. And I self-sabotaged constantly because I did not believe in myself. And when I found poker, I found something I was good at. I found something that rewarded me for paying attention, for trying to put myself in the other guy's shoes. And I loved it. I loved that living outside the grid where nobody could tell me what my worth was. It was on me. And the problem is when you start accepting excuses, you start letting other people define who you're going to be in this new vocation of yours, in this new passion of yours. If you want to be free and on your own, if you want to be your own man, you must hold yourself. You must hold your opinion in higher esteem than others. And a lot of guys I talk to that are trying to be good at this game, they're listening to everybody else as opposed to taking all of the different resources and trying to find the evidence that backs it up and trying to understand it on any level. And I know they're not doing this. You know why? Because I am the dumbest person I know, and I could still get this done. So I know you people who are far smarter than me could have done this. I know it. It's a problem of work ethic. It is work ethic. It is being vigilant. It is asking questions. And it is not giving in to groupthink. And there's a lot of that going on right now in poker So much of the training material I see is the exact same stuff, and they co-opt what everybody else says. They give you these wishy-washy answers. They never deliver on what they say, and they never say anything that they could pin you down on eventually. There's nothing like that, and it makes me sick. If you're going – if someone is going to pay you to teach them something, then teach them. We all, every single professional poker, I turned pro when I was 18. I have not had a real job since then. I paid my bills exploiting players. I never played with good players. I found the dumbest people I could find playing with the most money on the weirdest networks. I made scouting reports, and I exploited them. I am not going to tell you to do anything different because that would be a lie. That is my opinion on that. Okay, thanks, impassioned, and 
the heat is the heat is on, y'all. You're slacking. <laughs> it's 105 degrees right now in New York. Sorry, guys. I might be a little. Uh, I am heated, literally and figuratively. No, it's it's good. I mean, it's you. I am. It's like the thing that Alex. I always remember from my first lesson when I had a lesson from Alex is everything he said was backed up with numbers and it was like my eyes opening going rather than what I feel oh well I think this player has that like Alex said he's not interested in what you think it's what you know you start looking at the numbers and this bet needs to work X amount of times except as soon as you start applying that it takes the emotion and the uncertainty out of trying to guess what people are and second guess and ending up leveling yourself which is what I always used to think so um no, thanks for writing in, and I think Alex has uh, gave you an answer there um, on GTO. Okay, Alex, um, how can people get in touch with you to join the newsletter, see about your other products, and you just released another one the other week, etc.? If you guys would like to hear me be slightly less homicidal, uh, check out my new video that Barry is posting in the liner notes. It's uh, the nice people at Advanced Poker Training uh, arrange for that item to be kept on sale. So if, uh, if you want to throw them a couple of bucks, write me at alexandpokeradress.com. I'll give you the uh, affiliate link. Oh, you know what? It's actually it's on that video if you go into the liner notes. Uh, since they're the ones that I was going to run it, I was going to run the sale for a week and that that be it, right? Uh, and they arranged it so you guys can keep getting it at that price so you do kind of owe those guys uh if you check and if you don't have a pot to piss in check out that video it's an hour long it's like getting a very intense lesson from me uh for an hour for free uh because honestly i love you guys i have the greatest job in the world and i appreciate that write me at alex at if you have any questions you can tweet me at the assassinato Darian and I are getting back on our Twitter game, so, you know, if you guys want to say hi, we're there. Uh, check out my YouTube channel, at Assassinato Coaching. Check out more of my training videos. I'm doing classic training videos for Tournament Poker Edge. And I think that's just about it. Oh, sign up for my newsletter if you want pretty much daily free strategic content. Sign up at PokerHeadRush.com. That's my butt-ugly blog that I've had since the dawn of time, but don't worry. Go to the top right, sign up for the newsletter with your email address, and you'll get pretty, uh, you know, every other day, every few days at the most, you'll get free content from Barry, myself, my YouTube videos, my articles. Uh, America's Card Room is nice enough to print my articles. Uh, you guys can check all that out. It's absolutely free. So sign up. Okay. And keep your questions coming in for Alex on a future show. Please email questions at oneouter.com or you can tweet them at oneouter.com or post them in the Facebook group and we will get them read out on a future show. I'm off to cool down. I'm sure Alex is as well. I'm off for an ice lolly, as we call it in uh, uh, Scotland. Or an ice pole. <laughs> an ice pole as well. It's like a popsicle, I guess you would call oh, it. Nice. So it's like just a big long thing of like coloured ice with like artificial colouring and stuff pumped through it. Um, that was real big in Newark, in right. uh, Newark, New Jersey. They were all about that. Yeah, I suppose it's gelato and stuff in Manhattan, isn't it, for you? It's a... Avocado gelato. I lost you, Barry. I, oh, I don't know. That Skype's playing up, the mute thing. I don't know why it did that. <laughs> um, I was uh, my joke was lost. The timing's gone. I was saying I, I it's, it's more gelato in Manhattan. Av- avocado gelato or something in Manhattan. Oh, yeah, it's so true. It's I gone. Mean... The Skype mute got me. The, 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 the heat's the heat's killing the computer as well. Yeah. No, I, I said I said that last time. One sometimes you I mute Skype so like when you're talking it's like not interruptions or whatever. And then it doesn't work, and then eventually, like two minutes later, it, it mutes. It's weird. Yeah, <laughs> I've had that happen. Yeah. Well, the funniest was when I did the Heads Up Poker podcast, uh, 
uh, Mike, uh, one of the hosts there, he muted his mic for a second and forgot to turn it off, and he just thought we were talking over him for <laughs> 45 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, man, Mike is really quiet on this call. <laughs> but, yeah, so anyway. Anyway. All right. Thanks for listening, everyone, and uh, keep your questions coming in, and see you next week. Cheers. Cheers. The Sunday Major is back to the USA. America's Card Room is kicking off 2018 with a Texas Hold'em-sized bang that could change your life. Beginning January 7th, America's Card Room is hosting the biggest Sunday Major on the planet with $1,001,000 on the table every week. Yes, $1,001,000 guaranteed. Forget about just one time to change your life. The $1,001,000 guaranteed tournament is happening weekly, all for just $265 a pop. For all the info, check out americascardroom.eu.